Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz double bassist David Arend of the Alchemy Sound Project. He opened up about their new 2021 CD, Africa Love, This COVID World We Are All Surviving, His History and Music, and the Band's Lineage. Sessions for Africa Love took place in January 2018, and this album's title was borrowed from the composition that reflects the band's keen awareness that this recording arrives in the wake of one of the most tumultuous years in recent U.S. history, a pivotal period in which race relations and social justice protests have taken center stage. Dave is a freelance artist who moves easily across classical, jazz, electronic, avant-garde, singer-songwriter contexts, and more. And this band was formed in 2014, two years after the group's members met in Los Angeles at the Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute. It's a great story, full of great music. Enjoy. Man, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. So let's talk about Africa Love. And kind of before we get into the creative part of this, just under the context of the fact that we've been in a quarantine, we've been in a very strange world for a while. It's starting to wake up now. What does this mean for you and the band to be releasing material now that everything's kind of starting to wake up? And just with the idea of what we've all been going through. Yeah, it's an amazing question. I actually got chills just hearing you uh, ask that question. I mean, it's been an incredible and crazy time for basically all of humanity for the last year and a half. And for artists in particular, uh, you know, we've had all of our performing venues closed and we've all kind of hunkered down. That's been um, very difficult in many ways because we uh, kind of depend on each other. We're kind of like this meta support group, if you will, you know, and so we, um, we share ideas, we play music together, we share vibrations, uh, we feed off of each other. And to not be you know, allowed to uh, sit in the room with another musician and and just make vibrations and play was really difficult, um, you know. And so I think to try to find a silver lining in this is that we were kind of forced to just be at home, and so that's a great opportunity to write, you know, to compose music or practice or whatever it is, however you interact with your art, and maybe even find some other ways in, you know, as we reflect on our own, I don't know, fragility, humanity, you know, in the face of this pandemic. So as we emerge from this, and this is the part where I get chills thinking about it, is uh, live music again, you know, wow. For the performers, you know, and for the audience, and, and I'm excited to be on, on both sides of that equation, um, to just be in the room with people making music together. And so to release this CD, um, it's just, this was the only thing we could do because we couldn't get together and tour and we couldn't make a new recording. And luckily, we had uh, recorded these tracks prior to the pandemic. And so I was able to kind of focus, you know, during this pandemic on this project, among others, you know, working out the editing, getting it mixed, getting it mastered, working with the uh, the artists. We have a painter who paints our album covers. So there was a lot of work to be done, and that kind of helped carry us through uh, this strange time. And then to come out of it all and say, okay, here, here is something, here's a creation, uh, you know, that we feel good about, and um, I just, I think it means the world to us. And I guess that's the thing that's been interesting during this time, that hopefully, you know, there's a lot of revelations I think everybody's come to, you know, 
if we didn't have art during this time, and I know artists weren't seen as frontline workers, but at the end of the day, if we didn't have TV, film, music, and visual arts to indulge in, this would have been a drastically darker period for humanity. So with that kind of as a context, what did you learn about yourself during this time that's going to make you stronger as you reemerge and get on the stage? Boy, I have to say that when the pandemic first first hit, and I think everybody kind of went through this, you became aware of your own uh, mortality, your own fragility, and, and those you love, your family. And, and in my case, my sister is living far away from me. My parents are on the other side of the country. You know, I have cousins and relatives spread around, and I, I couldn't see them. So I was concerned for them. And, and I also became concerned for myself. You know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to make it through this thing? And uh, I started organizing my, my previous compositions. I sort of looked at myself as like, okay, let's, uh, let's pull it all together here and see what have I done, and let's organize it. And I even called up a buddy, and I said, hey, man, if I get sick, uh, here's the password to my Dropbox, you know. If you need to find my music, this is where it is. Um, so that, that was ter- I was, it's very humbling. I was going to say terrifying, uh, um, you know, and I think we all kind of moved emotionally further towards and away from terrified with, with this whole thing. But, um, yeah, so that, that fragility. So going forward, I think back to your question is, I'm so grateful uh, to still be here and able to make music, and um, I'm so looking forward to the new uh, collaborations that are coming around the corner. I've already played a couple of times with a cellist here in Los Angeles. We played some duets. That was just a wonderful experience. Um, so now we're all kind of starting to come out of our caves a little bit here and uh, get back in touch, you know, and make plans. It's just, it's really exciting. But I'm, I'm really humbled, and uh, I, I don't take a week for, for granted. So now with, you know, new music out and the chance to put it out there live for people, I guess just in general, what do you hope the the listener that decides to download or buy this album gets from this artistic experience you put out? Yeah, what I think is intriguing about this group, you know, we're, we're basically a collective of jazz composers and performers. Uh, we met at the um, uh, Institute for, uh, basically, it was uh, the Jazz Composers Orchestra Institute was put together by Columbia University and uh, their jazz program with George Lewis at the helm he collaborated with the American Composers Orchestra. It's a very long-winded way of saying that we met at this uh, institute that was bringing together jazz composers and encouraging us to reach over to the classical realm and maybe build bridges there or, or tear down boundaries, if you will, and sort of bring jazz and classical uh, into one uh, you know, kind of sphere, if you could. And so we've got these five uh, composers in the group. We all met uh, through this uh, institute. And we kind of stated, and, and this was, we rallied around uh, Sumi Tanoka, the pianist composer, who uh, said, hey, guys, let's get together and do this thing. And um, we sort of stated our, our objectives, which were, I mean, of course, we're continuing this, the jazz tradition. Um, but we wanted to kind of look at orchestration in maybe some new ways. Uh, And we also wanted to blur the lines between improvisation and notation. So, you know, hopefully when you listen to our music, there are times when you're not really sure, is this notated? Is this 
improvised? Is it kind of a little of each? And uh, we're writing uh, song forms that are a little longer, a little more sprawling. You might think of them like chamber music compositions rather than a nice, tight, uh, you know, standard jazz composition. And so that allows us to move into these kinds of experimental areas with how we treat improvisation, with how we treat orchestration. And then the fact that you have these five voices, three women and two men, um, which is another part of our identity, is that we, uh, we lean on the side of having more women composers than men composers, which is something you don't see a lot, and we'd like to see more of that. Um, and so it, this band has been about uh, giving voice to uh, female composers, composers of color, and combinations thereof. And so um, you're going to hear very different music. So we've got five tracks on Africa Love, you know, and so each one of the composers wrote one tune. And I'm looking at CD right now. The shortest track is just under seven minutes. Longest one's about nine and a half minutes. So, you know, you, you were really able to lean into uh, this kind of expanded form, I guess you might say. And so what are people going to hear? You're going to hear five really different compositions, um, but I think you're going to hear that it's cut from the same cloth, in a sense. And, and certainly part of that is that, you know, we're all writing for each other. So it, it's like you take five painters and you, you give them this palette and you say, okay, here's your, here are the paintbrushes and the, and the paints that we're going to use on this album. You know, go ahead, do your thing. Um, and so I think I hear individual voices when I hear this music, but I, you also kind of get a sense that there's a collective. That, and this is our third album, so we've kind of got a sense now of, of uh, each other's playing, uh, you know, and what's sort of possible, the color palette that's available. Um, we never talk about exactly what we're going to write for each other, but somehow the albums always end up uh, pretty balanced in terms of, you know, up versus more down, you know, more melancholy versus, uh, you know, more vitriolic or, I mean, there's, there's a really a wide, um, you know, expanse of, of, of music that's happening. So it's exciting. I, I love this band. And you all have been around for a while and obviously the interplay is like conversation. What do you all look forward to the most when you get together? What's the, what's the best part of being in a collective like this? I mean, it, I mean, it hasn't happened obviously in person for a while, but what has been the best historically part of, of you all getting together? Oh, there's no question that it's uh, getting a, um, a window into another composer's brain, not only one other composer, but, you know, four or five composers, and being influenced by how they write um, and literally how they write, like how they put it on the page. How do you notate these ideas? And how do you write in terms of orchestrational ideas, uh, ideas with form, you know, the form of the, of the composition? And I've just been tremendously influenced by all four of my colleagues in this group um, because we're all coming from a slightly different angle. Uh, we certainly look back to some of the greats, like Charles Mingus often comes to mind when someone asks us who inspires us. I mean, it's a, such a long list of, of um, composers that inspire us. Um, but I think Mingus is one of those people who had this really quirky original band and, you know, really blurred those lines between improvisation and composition and stirred up this amazing, uh, you know, alchemy is really what the word that, that came to us. And so that's why we, we named our project Alchemy Sound Project. Beautiful. 
you know, you've been around some heavy hitters in your life um, and gigged with them and been on stage. What have you learned from, you know, legends and luminaries that you in turn have helped teach younger players that you're around? I think it's a balance of of devotion and focus. You're working very hard at your instruments, at your craft, balanced with humility. And uh, I always feel like the greatest musicians that I meet, they're just so kind. There's some sort of deep humanity um, that, that just sort of surrounds them like a glow. And I'm thinking of uh, Ornette Coleman. I was lucky enough to work with him um, back when I was a student. Actually, I was, I was a classical student at Oberlin for my undergrad and at Juilliard for my master's. When I was at Juilliard, we did a program. We did a, a couple of pieces with um, Ornette Coleman and got to record with him. And uh, wow, you know, what a legend, right? But what a sweet, sweet human being and uh, so encouraging and so warm. You know, and so they show you that the sky's the limit, but they also show you that that uh, there's this great humility that's involved with um, treating one another, I think, with dignity and respect, and just being grateful that you're part of this uh, the sweep of history, and and you're one little I'm one little blob of ink, you know, across this huge thing, and and so you just play your part in that, I think. And I think that's the thing that's most intriguing to me is that. Some of the finest people on this planet, and and I've seen a lot of different walks of life, has been jazz musicians. And the higher up the food chain you go, the kinder and more humble and nice these musicians are. And I wonder if that's why the jazz flame throughout all of the turbulence that can happen in different genres of music, I wonder if sometimes that's the reason why the jazz flame continues to burn as brightly as it does no matter what happens throughout history. There's no question about it, and and I think that's that's – and this would become a very long conversation as well, but we could talk about the roots of jazz and how uh, suffering, uh, especially of uh, African Americans, really uh, imbued jazz with this uh, humanity and humility and sense of reaching and uh, uh, strife, you know? And so, I mean, those are the roots of jazz, really, the blues and even before the blues. So uh, we can't really separate jazz, and we wouldn't want to, uh, from those deep roots and and the roots of of suffering and trying to rise up. And then now that we're in the 21st century, of course, we know that this discussion is is continuing with great urgency, as it must. Um, And we certainly have solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and so forth. We we chose the album title, Africa Love. Um, That was a composition by Salim that he wrote a couple years ago, but we also understood that there was a resonance with uh, this larger uh, movement that's going on. But I would also say that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this group is also bridging into, you know, European classical music. And so th- there's room for everyone. And, and this could all just be one warm, you know, uh, family. I think that's, that's how we'd like to see the planet Earth is just one family and not these separate uh, you know, categories and so forth. So if there's any small way we can, you know, say a little something about that with our music and with what we're doing, you know, that that feels right. So speaking of roots, how did your roots in jazz begin? How did you get that love for this music? Ah, okay. Well, that I this story is, is um, precious to my heart. I uh, studied piano a little bit as a kid, but I really didn't like it. So I'm I was allowed to quit, <laughs> became a trombonist for a while, 
But then I got back and I, I opened my parents' piano bench and I found this music in there and I put it up on the piano and it was Scott Joplin's Rags. Actually, um, it was a setting, uh, the book was set up uh, from the movie The Sting, if you remember this movie, and yeah. uh, with uh, Robert Redford, right? And um, anyway, and so I opened this up this book and it was Joplin Rags that just pulled me, pulled me in. And almost everybody knows the entertainer, which is, you know, super upbeat, fun thing. But I remember there was some really dark and emotional uh, music in there. And I said, mom, can I please have piano lessons again? And she looked at me like, you don't like the piano. Um, but it was Joplin's music that brought me back in there. And then, um, Again, I have to say thank you, Mom, because she uh, found a, um, a piano teacher who uh, just kind of blew my mind. So I brought those rags to my new to my new piano teacher, you know, to my piano lesson. And this teacher was, uh, I mean, I don't know how old she was. You know, I was maybe 13, and she was probably 80-something. I believe she was a church organist. So she puts down this music in front of her and just lit the piano on fire. I mean, she was playing notes that were not on the page. And, you know, I, I like to tell this story and say my jaw is still on the floor. I haven't picked my jaw up yet since since then. And uh, she said, look, you know, if you can learn to understand the harmony uh, that's going on on the page, there's a whole world of, of stuff that you can do to take it off the page. And I think I've just been kind of chasing that memory, that moment, uh, really, ever since, just totally inspiring it was magic. It was where I saw that that um, something was going on. <laughs> you know? Right on. And I wanted, yeah. yeah. So if when we get off the phone, a jazz DeLorean pulls up in front of your house, and you can punch in the digits to any place, anytime. Who are you going to go see, and who would you want to talk to in the annals of jazz history after they get off stage? Well, that's a really long list, um, but I think I've already <laughs> uh, mentioned that the, my – you know, my greatest influence would be Charles Mingus. Gosh, well, I'm thinking bass players, of course, uh, because I'm a bass player. Uh, there's so many, so many. Uh, Scott LaFaro is another bass player. You know, he was killed in a car crash in his 20s, played with Bill Evans. Um, gosh, I'd love to hang with him for a minute, you know. Um, wow, yeah. <laughs> Such a long list. I don't know how to answer that. Well, it would be wild because that night before the Village Vanguard recording to hang out and just kind of get a insight because from what I understand, his career was really ramping up and going to places at that time. Oh, yeah. Scott's, Scott's playing was really, I think, kind of visionary. Um, and I, I heard stories. I heard that he had kind of disappeared for six months with a bow, you know, and kind of was like in the woodshed with his bow. Um, I don't remember hearing him bow, but whatever he did in that secret room with his bow uh, brought him to some place. And that, and it was, I think, after that that he uh, started recording with Bill and playing with Bill. And I mean, what a concept, you know, a, mo a very modern concept and a very virtuosic concept and, and very conversational. Um, so I kind of feel like listening to those Bill recordings, especially the ones with Scotty, uh, they're always going to be with me somewhere, you know. Yeah. So why do you love jazz? I love jazz because it is, uh, wow, that's a toughie. It's, it's, it's real. It's humanity. It's, uh, it's emotional. It's intellectual. It's physical. It's social. Um, 
You could even talk about food, you know, and, and other aspects of art and culture. So I think maybe that's it, that jazz is culture, you know, writ large, and, and a very complex, uh, not just any one culture, but a, a mix of cultures, which it always has been, I think, since the beginning. Um, so it's a smorgasbord. It's just flavors. <laughs> Everyone has an idea or perception of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but you ultimately are the ones living your life. Who do you think you are? Oh, well, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm just a little blob of, um, of ink on this long, huge canvas that has zillions of people before me and zillions of people after me. Um, so, but I think that every person, I, I sometimes think of the image of a prism, you know, when you shine light into a prism and then, a, you know, a rainbow or whatever comes out on the other side. And I feel like each human being is a prism, is their own prism, is a unique prism. And that whatever light shines through me, something is going to be cat is, is going to emerge from that. And it's different than if we shine that light through you and what emerges from you and what emerges from my friend Salim or Sumi or anyone that we know. And this is what I, I think is so precious about, about human life and, and humanity is that every single individual person is this unique prism. Um, so who am I? Well, I'm just one of these many zillions, you know, I'm just a prism. But what I'd like to do with my life is to just try to ring true, you know, try to be that prism, you know, and, and so do the work, practice the base or read or whatever it is that people do, uh, you know, love people, um, be good to people, have friends, have family, uh, just grow yourself as a person and let the light shine and what, you know, what more can we do? My final question is this. Let's say you come to Kansas City here in the coming months or year or years and you present this album to a live audience. How would you right now pitch the band's power and uh, majesty live to get them to come see your show here in Kansas City? Well, Alchemy Sound Project's music is it's clearly coming from uh, jazz, from the roots of jazz. Um, but we are also expanding it into classical chamber music. Um, we're blurring the lines uh, where, where, you know, you have notated music and improvised music. Um, and there's a very broad range of expression from, you know, delicate to ferocious, um, contemplative, assertive. And so when you experience the music, you're going to have, I think as an audience member, just a broad range of, of uh, feelings and maybe even thoughts that will come up. You know, I think music can be a wonderful catalyst uh, for, for the audience just to kind of contemplate, uh, meditate. Um, and so I think you'll get a lot out of this band because there's such a broad uh, range. Beautiful, man. Hey, thank you for taking some time out for Neon Jazz today. Good luck with the album and the return to the stage. My pleasure. Thank you so much for this. We really appreciate it. Have a great one. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and composers in Los Angeles, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to David on behalf of the band for his time, music, and energy. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time. Enjoy the jazz, my friends.
Leon Jez.